Good morning. My name is Alex Tarosa. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and I'm just really excited to share with you what God has been putting on my heart for us today. Now, right now, we are finishing a series. It's a 20-week series called Mountain Monologues. But before we get into all of that, I wanted just to welcome our first-time guests. And at New Life Students, what we do to welcome first-time guests, we give them a round of applause. So could we do that today, this morning? Yeah! If this is your first time here today, thank you so much for coming. We've been planning for you and praying for you, and we pray that you enjoy your time with us today and that you'll come back next week or in the weeks ahead. If you've been here twice or a hundred times or you're watching on Facebook, hello, um, what we're doing is we're finishing this series by talking about the ending of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The whole passage is captured in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and throughout this whole entire series, we have been talking about all kinds of things like anger and anxiety and fasting and the golden rule. And as we've been doing that, pastors Brad, Chris, Barry, and Mark have just done a fantastic job of talking to us about what Jesus said. And so if you've missed any of those, you can go online to newlifexn.org and watch them, or you can go on the app, New Life Christian Ministries, and watch them there. But before we get into it, I thought it'd be kind of cool just to look back over these last 20 weeks and see what God has been doing in the life of our church. So April 20th, we kicked off this series on Easter. And on Easter weekend, we had 1,539 people here that weekend, which is just incredible, especially, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you think about the fact that there's like 2,000 people total in Saxonburg, so you kind of have to wonder where they're coming from, but it's great. After that, we celebrated some more holidays. We had Mother's Day and Memorial Day and Father's Day and then the 4th of July. And on the 3rd of July, we were able to host fireworks for our whole community, which was really cool. And Karen Schiebel and her team did such an amazing job of welcoming people and helping people feel loved and, and introducing them to Jesus just by the kindness that we were able to show people. 3,500 people were split between here and the school and just around Saxonburg, which again, is just mind blowing. And so that was an amazing opportunity just to share the love of Jesus with our community. Right after that, New Life Kids set off Summer Explosion where 220 kids showed up in between three days. We have a picture of it up here. And not only did Pastor Chris and her team kill it for those three weeks, but they also were able to lead 24 kids into salvation with Jesus. Jesus, first time commitments with Jesus, which is incredible. Yeah. Amen. Just a couple weeks ago, they ended their summer explosion with a foam party, which was really cool. We were able to host that here too, which was really goofy and fun and, and a nice way just to celebrate kind of the end of summer and, and what God has been doing. And then life of New Life students, what we do during the summers is a program called Tandem, and it goes from 6.30 to 8.30 every Tuesday night. And we saw 80 kids a week come on out, which is really cool. We got to worship and talk about what God wants us to do with our time, talent, treasure, and touch. Our main point for the whole summer is what's on my shirt. It's you were made for such a time as this, which comes from the book of Esther. And one of the cool things we were able to do during that was go to the mission, which we host here at New Life. So students and leaders sleep here for the whole week and we serve Butler County, Beaver County, everywhere that we can. And just to share the love of Jesus and do service projects for those that are less fortunate. And one of the things we get to do as well is we get to help out with the fireworks. So that was cool. And not only did students come out, but leaders did, and we had 57 students and leaders for that whole week, which was 
uh, mind-blowing. It was the biggest mission we've ever had. Later on in that month, we commissioned and sent out 14 people from the youth ministry to Myanmar. And in Myanmar, we got to spend a lot of time with an orphanage that has about 200 kids there. But we also spent time just prayer walking and telling people about Jesus. The same exact time, we had 12 people commissioned from our church to go to Cambodia. And in Cambodia, they got to tell the whole nation about the, the love of Jesus. But they also got to tell people in the airports as they went there about who Jesus is. And so as we look back, we can know that God is doing some amazing things, that God is alive and he's moving and he wants to, us to participate in what he's doing in his story on this earth. And so as we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, we've been learning how to partner alongside with him. And it hasn't always been easy. Some of the things that Jesus has said has been challenging, but he's always given us a reason behind what we're doing. And so today we're going to be looking at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 29. And this is what Jesus says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. For the right now that you would just fill this place with your Holy Spirit, enter into our minds and our hearts. Please remove distractions, God, and don't let anything get in the way of the message that you have for us today. Give us the ability to respond in kind. And respond in a way that we can live more like you and we'll end up looking more like you after today. We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen. I love this part of scripture because Jesus is being really real with us. He could be saying that storms might come or if you're bad, storms will come. Or if you don't listen to me, storms will come. But he doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus just acknowledges that life will be hard at times. He just says that storms will come and we know that and we can get on board with that because we see that most of our lives are spent in between one of three seasons. We're either A, in a storm right now, whether it's emotional or relational or financial or physical storm, or we're drying off from the storm that just happened, or we're feeling the winds pick up from the storm that is ahead. Life is hard and Jesus acknowledges that this will be difficult at times, but he doesn't just leave it there. He says there is a key to withstanding the storms, to not being pushed over by every storm that comes our way. And that's by building a firm foundation on him, by listening and obeying his words. And this is our take-home point. This is the one point that the message is surrounding around. It says this, a secure foundation is central to facing life's difficult moments. A secure foundation, specifically in Jesus Christ, by listening and obeying his words, is central to face those storms that, again, will come. And so as I've been praying and looking over this, the thing that just kept popping into my mind was a story that I was 
lucky enough to hear by a man named Chang Nung. Now, Chang Nung was the guy that ran the orphanage that we partnered with in Myanmar. We have a picture of him. He's super happy. He's also a really intelligent guy. He has a master's of business and a master's of divinity, um, but he's both equally wise as he is immensely humble, which is a rare combination. Not only does he know a lot, but he's willing to submit to God in every aspect of his life, as well as to other people. He's just an incredible man, an inspiring man to be around. And so as he walked us around this orphanage, he showed us the, the 200 kids who are well-dressed and, and have good food and they're clean. And he showed us the cement walls and the running water and the rooms that a couple of them have, air conditioning and just really amazing things that they're doing there, not only in the, uh, in the orphanage, but also in the school. They have a school that's now attached to them that has ministry degrees for undergrad and for masters that he runs as well. Again, an amazing man. And so one day he was able to share the story of how this place came to be. He said that when he went to go marry his wife, Tim, she said that in order to marry me, you also have to agree to taking over a family's business, which is this orphanage. And so because he loved Tim and he loved Jesus Christ, he said, yes. So he took over it. But as he was sitting one day and watching the kids run around, he started to notice that there wasn't a lot of money into this. At the time, they had bamboo huts, and they still had a lot of kids, not as many as now, but it's a pretty war-torn country. And so they're looking around at these kids, and he saw them running with flip-flops or sandals that were broken or that had holes in them, and it made his heart just immensely sad. And so as he started to pray about it, he started to ask God what he should do. And it came to him pretty obvious that he needs to buy shoes. So he went to their money drawer where they kept all their money and he counted it out and it was about 25 bucks. Not enough to buy shoes for everyone, of course. So he went back to pray and tried to figure out what God wants him to do and how they can figure out how to provide for these kids. And so as they were doing this, God brought to his attention his wedding ring. Now he looked at it and it was pure gold and it was the most expensive, valuable item he had. And it hit him. God wants him to sell it so that he can buy shoes. Now, this is not a decision that a wise man would make by himself because he would go to his wife first, and that's what he did. So he went to his wife and he said, I believe that God wants me to sell this ring and to buy shoes. And his wife gave him a hug and she said, my family spent a lot of their lives giving up everything they had, selling it to be able to keep this place in business. I'm so thankful that it's our time to do the same thing. So they went out, they sold the ring, they bought shoes, all the kids have shoes. But they didn't escape this store of poverty, they were still in it. They just had shoes for the kids, but they still didn't have any money to maybe further what they wanted to do there. So they kept praying and praying and praying. And one day someone showed up and he said that he wanted to sell, that, or he knew someone that wanted to sell them a piece of land. So the land normally would cost about 80000 or $100,000, but this guy, this family was gonna sell it to him for $4,000. They were Christians and they were moving overseas and they knew Chung Nung and what he was doing, so they wanted to help him out by selling this land at a very discounted price. Unfortunately, Chung Nung did not have $4,000 to his name, so this wasn't as easy as just saying yes. So he said no. He said, I don't have the money, I'm sorry, and this guy went away. But the guy was persistent, he kept coming back and asking him. So finally he went and talked to this family who were dead set on selling him this land. So he went home and he prayed about it and God made it very obvious that he needs to find a way to get this money to buy this land now. So through prayer, he started to think about different people he should call and so he would call um, family members and other people he knew and every time he did, people would say no. And so one day, God brought into his mind during prayer the image of a friend of his 
someone that at their wedding, him, uh, Chung Nung's wedding, that he was shaking his hand and shaking his wife's hand. So after prayer, he called this guy up and said, hey, odd question, I wanna buy this land. Will you give me $4,000 to do it? And the guy responded with yes. The guy said, absolutely, I have the money, come on over and I'll give it to you, which is incredible. So he went, got the check, bought the land, now has this land. Didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't attached to the orphanage or anything. It was somewhere across town, but he had it though. And they're so poor, but they had this land. And so he continues to pray. And a little while after that, someone called him up. And he said, Chang Nung, I own property, two big parts of land. And in the middle, separating them is your sliver of land. And to me, that's annoying. So I would like to buy it from you. So why don't you come on over? We'll eat some food, we'll drink, we'll, we'll talk. And then afterwards, maybe we'll discuss me buying this land from you. So Chung Nan goes and he calls a friend of his uh, who's a Burmese monk and really a wise guy in business and takes him along with him and they go, they eat, they drink. Then afterwards, this guy starts to talk and he says, Chung Nan, just let me know how much is this land worth for you? Give me a price and I will... I will sell it to you. Now, at this time, Chang Nung didn't know what the land originally would cost, and so he just knows that he spent $4,000 on it, so he's in his mind thinking about it, and he settles on the number 30000 He said, if I get 30000 of this, we could do a lot for the kids, for the orphanage. And so he's about to say this, but then he felt a pinch from the Burmese monks sitting next to him, and he said, no, let him talk to you first. And so, wise counsel, so he said, okay. Chang Nung said, I don't really know what the price would be, so why don't you just tell me what you're willing to pay? So the guy says, okay, I'm going to put a number out there, but don't be offended. If it's too low, don't worry about it. I will talk about it. I really want this, so don't let the price be a problem. If, again, don't let it offend you. But I was thinking maybe something in the lines of $100,000. And so Chung Nung was about to jump up and say, yes, shake his hand, take the money, and run. But again, he felt a pinch from this Burmese monk next to him. And this guy said, let, let me talk. And he said, sir, this man... It's a good man, and he owns an orphanage. Now, I know you, and you give money to many donations all over the place, and so why don't you just think for a moment about the kids? And that's a great line, right? Like, if you're trying to get someone to give money, like, think of the kids, they're poor. And so he says this, and the man starts to think about it, and he goes, okay, $110,000. And so they agree to that deal and they walk away with $110,000, which is amazing. So Chung now tells a story about how they got to go back and put this into this facility they have and it's, it started to be what it is today. And God continued to provide time after time. And when difficult times hit and they continue to hit, God's still doing amazing things. And not just with the lives of the orphans, but it's stretching throughout Myanmar. It's a country that is mostly a Buddhist nation. They said that there's 98% of them are Buddhist. They even have this saying in, in Myanmar that to be Burmese, that's what they call themselves, to be Burmese is to be Buddhist. And so he's making this war against that religion and Jesus is able to start moving. And it's because Chang Na is so grounded in Jesus that he's not shaken by anything that comes. Now, this was inspiring to me, mainly because I haven't always been the same way. I know that when I was younger, when my parents got divorced, I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I was easily shaken. I was tossed like the wind, and, and I went into a lot of angry times where I was getting in fights all the time and, and fighting with people and yelling at people. And I'm both a loud mouth and very small, so it didn't always end up well for me. But that's just what I did and, and kind of who I was at the time. And I ended up in counseling for that, trying to get back on the right track. 
Years later, I was in college and a girl that I was dating cheated on me and broke up with me. And again, although I knew Jesus' time, I wasn't securely grounded in Jesus. And again, I was tossed with the wind and I ended up anxious and worrying and had self-deprecating thoughts. And again, a while later, I had to go enter into counseling again just to get back on that narrow path that Jesus talks about in this Sermon on the Mount. And so recently, I was feeling this storm of busyness, which I know is kind of a cop-out because we all feel busy. It just seems like in life, we're always in the busiest season we've ever experienced, at least for me, because in high school, you feel like you've never been busier, which is probably true. But then you go to college, and you're like, man, high school had a lot of free time. And then you get out of there, and you get a job, and you're like, man, college me was nothing but empty with his time. And then you get married, and you're like, honey, can I please hang out with my friends? And then you have kids, and you're like, just tell me a story about what free time was like back in the day. And that just continues to go. And so I, I, I was feeling this and I didn't know what to do. And so I know that prayer was important. I've been told that for 16, 17 years of my life. But if I'm honest, most of my prayer time more resembled a kid sitting on Santa's lap where I just would say, I want or I need or I, I got to have this, God, or this is really hard. Please give me something, which I guess you want to say that to Santa, but I would say that to God. And, and so I went to Pastor Barry, who has a great prayer life, and I just asked him to tell me what he does. Like, what do you do when you sit down with God? And he began sharing from a book by Dick Eastman called The Hour That Changes the World. And so if you want to write that down, if you want to look it up maybe later, it says it's called Dick Eastman's The Hour That Changes the World. And it's all about prayer and how to most effectively spend our time with God. And he shared that not only does he and Pastor Chris pray through a pretty similar thing, but it has dramatically changed their lives. And so he walked through it with me. And it goes a little like this. It starts with praise and thanksgiving, and then goes to confession, and then it's awaiting the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you read scripture, you silently reflect on that scripture, you pray for others, you pray for yourself, you listen, and then finally when it's all done, you praise God again. And so he actually sent it to me in an email, and I printed it out, cut it, and put it in my Bible or my journal so that I could look at it each day, and I started to pray through it. And for me in my life, it's made a huge impact. I could feel once I started to do this, although it was a little sacrifice having to wake up early to do this, it felt immediately helpful that my, my feet were firmly planted, that when stuff started to come, it was a little harder to shake me off of that just because of my relationship with Jesus was growing and growing and growing. So I thought the best use of my time today would simply be to walk through these nine things and talk about what they mean and why they're important. So the first thing is praise and thanksgiving. And very simply, praising God puts our lives into the right perspective. As people, we're in a society that is all about us. How do I get what I want now? How do I get it quicker than right now? Why isn't my stuff here in the two days that Amazon promised it would be? Why is this line in fast food so long? We worry about that stuff all the time and it consumes us. We think about ourselves time and time again. And so when we start with praising and thanksgiving, it shifts our perspective away from our needs and to who God is. When we start by saying stuff like, God, you are amazing. You created the world with your breath. You spoke it into creation. You made me. You know me inside and out. You sent your son to die on the cross for me, for my son, before he was even born. You knew him and you loved him so much that you would die for him. And so going through, talking about who God is and what he's done in our lives. And, and as simple as the weather is beautiful, God, thank you so much for creating that. We go through that and our perspective of our whole lives starts to change. 
And then after that, we go to confession. Now for me, praising God is always the longest part of my prayer time because I'm really afraid of this next part, confession, because it's really difficult to just say, okay, I've done all these wrong things, let's deal with them, but it's super important. And so really just asking ourselves, have I looked like Jesus in the last day? Or recently, have I looked like Jesus? And because the answer is generally not 100% yes, it's figured out what we need to repent from, which is just turn away and turn towards God. And it's really important because confession humbles us before God. And it also brings us relief from guilt and pain. So it humbles us. It puts us in the right perspective, like just like praising God does, but it also starts to bring this relief from guilt and pain. Because when we're consumed with our wrongdoings and what we've done before, we can get so wrapped up in those that we start to hate who we are. We start to define ourselves by what we've done and not by how Jesus has loved us and by what his son did on the cross. Levi Lusco talks about this in his book, Swipe Right. And he says, we brand ourselves and give ourselves permanent labels. I'm a divorcee. I'm an orphan. I declared bankruptcy. I'm a felon or even something as simple as I'm not a morning person, as though that is what we will always be. But the power of the cross is that your identity doesn't come from your activity or your life's brutality, but from the perfect love of Jesus. You are not defined by your failures or pain, but by his forgiveness, which is a huge amen, because if we were defined by the negative stuff in our lives, we would be wrapped up in that all the time. But Jesus says, stop it. Stop worrying about that stuff. Stop defining yourselves by what you have done. Start defining yourselves by who I am. And when we do that, when we confess our sins, we, we are brought to a point of healing and redemption. And in 1 John 1, 9, it talks about this and says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When we acknowledge that those things are sins, those things are not of God's will, those are not who we're supposed to be, we're also acknowledging that God has made us into a new creation, that we're different than we once were. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never confessed your sins to him and asked him to take those sins off your shoulders, you're still bearing that weight and that guilt and that pain. God says that all we have to do is ask him to be our Lord, which means owner, to be our savior, which means rescuer from sin and death, to take away that stuff and he'll cleanse us from it. He'll make us a new creation. He'll allow us to enter into a relationship with him so we can speak to him, we can listen to his words and that we can spend eternity with him as well and that secure foundation can begin to form. So today, make it today if you've never given your life to Jesus before. So after we confess our sins to God, what we do is we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are called to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a daily thing. This is an always thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can imagine it like with our lives, like an empty water bottle that we sometimes drink and then it's empty and we want to fill it up again. That's the same thing with our lives. We get filled with the Holy Spirit and then it pours out from us the way that we talk and react and then we get filled up again. And we want to actually get so filled up with the Holy Spirit that it starts to pour pour out onto everyone around us so that when those storms do hit and we can't think straight, that God will be able to think for us. And then when we react and we want to react in anger and anxiety or worry, instead we'll react with the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he produces in us with love and patience and self-control. So we ask the Holy Spirit to give us that power, that power, that authority that Jesus has, that God has, that the Holy Spirit has. We ask for him to fill us up. And it helps with the next step too, because the next step is scripture reading and reflection. And as we're going to go read God's word, it's helpful to have the Holy Spirit be in our minds and in our hearts to illuminate what the scriptures mean. 
And so we read. And for a long time for me, what reading the Bible looked like was reading about four chapters a day. And I remember just being so proud of that. I was like, yeah, I checked that off in the box. I'm really cool and smart because I read four chapters a day. And I would walk away from that and not think about what I read or even um, remember any of it, but I would feel pretty good about it. And so I started talking to Barry about this. And, and he said that after you read, you need to stop and reflect because otherwise it's just information and you need it to apply it to your life so you can be transformed by God. And so... I started to dial it back and I read one or two chapters a day. And I'm not saying that you have to. You could read four or 10 or 20 if you want to. I know plenty of people are smarter than I am, but I generally read the one or two because then I can stop and reflect and ask a couple questions. How does this apply to my life? Why would Jesus put this in the, in the Bible? Why would God put this in there? It has to be for some kind of reason. And should I look differently because of what I read? And after that, life change can happen. And it's important to remember while we're doing all of these spiritual disciplines, whether they're reading or praying, that Jesus doesn't love us more because we're doing spiritual disciplines. In fact, he loves us more than we can imagine already. We're not doing this to gain his love. He already loves us. He already died on the cross for us. He created us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. We're not proving ourselves to him. He loves us already. This is just so we can build that relationship with him. In any relationship that you want to build with a friend or someone that you're dating or married to or your family, you spend time, you speak with them. That's all God's asking for us to do, to listen to his words. And Jesus said, if we listen and we obey, we not just take it in, but we act on it, that firm foundation will be formed. After we reflect, we start to pray for other people. And we don't pray with ifs, ands, or buts, or, or saying, God, if you can do this, please do this, but I understand it, whatever. We actually are called to pray specifically with expectancy and authority, knowing that God has the power to do more than we can ever imagine. And I know right now I'm kind of worn against our imagination with these last two points talking about how it's more than we can imagine, but it's just true because that's how great God is. And so when we pray, we pray specifically for healings. We pray specifically for people to come to know Jesus, for nations to change, for people to rise from the dead, really for big things because God has that power and we know it and we call on it. That authority that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, he wants to speak through us today. So we call upon that now. So we pray for people specifically with expectancy and authority. And then we pray for ourselves. It's funny because before this was my whole prayer time, but now something's changed. After praising God and confessing my sins and being filled with the Holy Spirit, my petty issues just stop mattering. Like when I'm in traffic and I'm really frustrated if I start to think about how God created the world with his breath, my issue suddenly doesn't even make any sense because God's bigger than it. Or whenever I start to think and dwell upon the fact that Jesus died on the cross in that gruesome way for my sins, and I'm sitting here complaining about the caffeine headache that I caused myself, it just stops, it just fades away into the back. So starting to pray for myself ends up looking more like, please help me to have the same kind of faith that Chung Nung has. Help me to be able to answer to you if you ask me to do something big, like part with my biggest possession. Help me to be able to hear from you, God, and, and act on it, to listen and also obey. 
which leads right into the next one, which is just listening to God, just sitting in silence. And it's important to know that God wants to speak to you today. God is alive and he's moving. We've seen that in the life of new life these last 20 weeks. And he wants to continue doing amazing things. And he wants to talk to you. He wants that relationship. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to speak into your life, whether it's through his words or prayer or through the Bible or through other people. He wants to speak to you. And we got to just open our ears and listen. When we were in Myanmar, at the end of all of our services, we'd pray for the kids that were there. And the last day, we had elementary school, middle school, high school, and college kids all there. And so we called them up to, to pray for them if they wanted prayer. And our photographer, Andy, who's from Singapore, was praying at this time, and he started to hear the voice of God. So he went up front, and he asked Chung Nung to translate for him. And, and he said that someone out there in the audience, some student, is having trouble hearing from their left ear. They can't hear from it and that they need to come forward for healing. And so Chung Nung translated and said it, and a kid stood up and came forward, which is amazing because God told Andy, he listened, he obeyed, and he said it. Now, this could have been awkward for him. It probably was a little scary. What if I got it wrong or whatever? But he listened to God, and he said it. This kid came forward, and then Josh Battaglia, who was our youth coordinator but just accepted a job in New Mexico as a youth pastor, and I think these are connected because he's listening, he's obeying to what God has asked him to do. He was there, and Tony Weimer from Southeast Asia Prayer Center was there, and they prayed over this kid. And this kid heard a pop in his ears. Now, he didn't understand what these two were saying. They were praying over him in English, and he spoke Burmese, but he heard this pop, and he heard from both of his ears. And so we praise God because God listens to what we say, and we can hear God when he talks to us, and he's still willing to do miracles and healings today. And I can't imagine what would have happened. I don't want to imagine, rather, if Andy didn't listen to God in that moment. He wants to speak to us today. And then after we listen, we just praise again. We put ourselves in that right perspective again. And sometimes in my life, that looks like praising God through a song or, then, or just saying good things about God again or thanking him once again. Or it's always usually I'm ending up on my knees just giving up the rest of my life, everything, and I'm holding back to him. And then I'm done. Now, this has been so important to me that, again, it's, it's on the back of your fill-in-the-blanks thing. And so if you wanted to take and put it in your Bible, or I put it in like a little journal, and so I write alongside stuff on different pages each week just because, or each day when I wake up, because I know that some things might happen and might get distracted. So I write things down so I know where I'm at so I can stay focused on that. And so if you want to follow along with that, you can. And I believe that it'll change your life. And I believe that it'll help form that foundation amidst any storms that come your way. But I think it is important to note that this isn't the only way that you have to pray to God. There's not a specific way that we have to spend time with God. In fact, God just calls us as his children to do it. So it's not like there's one way. There's only one specific way you have to pray. God just calls us to consistently spend time in relationship with him so we can grow closer and closer to him. Pastor Chris does something similar to this, but he does it on rails to trails in the mornings. He walks and he prays. And I'm not saying that we all have to get up from here, go to rails and trails and walk together. Um, that might be distracting and kind of weird. And there's only so much space on that. And so we don't have to do that but we could do it in our lives and the kitchen table or on the porch or as we drive. In fact, we could do different things. Pastor Dallas Willard, who passed away a couple years ago, was interviewed one time and asked, what do you do for your daily ritual, your daily prayers? And he said, I don't really have something that I do every day, but sometimes I pray through the Lord's Prayer, what we prayed earlier uh, during the Lord's Supper. And he said, he prays through it slowly, my Father in heaven. And then he would think, my Father 
not like my great accuser, but my father. Or he would pray through Psalm 23 that when I'm in the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. So anything that comes my way this day, I know that I can face it because God is next to me, beside me, that same power. And so he would pray through that. And so whatever way you find that works with you in a relationship with God, do it. Because it's that important. Because again, life storms are going to come. Some of us know that because we're in them right now. And when they come, we need to call upon the power of God. Why not? I mean, he is the God that created the whole universe and he wants to partner with us. And when we are added to God's team, there's nothing that can overcome those odds. In fact, we can think of it this way. We're in God's side. And he's the king of the universe, and he alone is a winning team. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, nothing can come against them. And so when we're with him, we won't be shaken by storms. We don't have to fear storms. In fact, we don't have to just survive them, but we can thrive during them. And one of the first ways that we can do that is by just taking the next step today to just start speaking with him. And our next step is, I will focus my mornings on building a firm foundation this week so that when that baby won't stop crying or that family member is going through a really hard time or there's a divorce going on in in your family at some point or that health diagnosis came back really bad or there's a money issue going on, whatever it is, we won't be fearful but instead we'll rely on God and that firm foundation that's been built and we won't be shaken, but we'll be like Chang Nung who took a negative situation and thrived to miss it and now Myanmar is getting affected by God. We'll be like that. And could you imagine if this whole church started to do that? If we started to thrive through storms in such a way that our community, our region, our nation, the world is affected, how much good things God can do? Because remember, again, it's that God who spoke on that Sermon on the Mount in the form of Jesus Christ, who had authority so much so that people who didn't even believe in him were just amazed by him. That same Jesus with that same authority wants to speak to us today. He wants to have us partner alongside him in changing the world for his kingdom. And it starts by just spending time daily with him, building that foundation. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. And I pray that today, as we go out, that you will just continue to work in our lives. Speak to us, God. I pray for anyone that is in here that's never heard your voice speak directly to their life, their heart. God, I pray that today that it will happen, this week that it will happen, that you will allow us not just to hear your words, but give us the strength to obey, to go forward and to serve you, God. We love you and thank you for what you've done. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.